to Faith Reformed Baptist Church. If you have a copy of God's Word with you this evening, please open it with us to the book of 2 Timothy. I've been uh, going through the gospel according to Mark, but uh, I've had this this, uh, message on my mind for some time. And uh, and honestly, I have to say that I need to hear it. I need this. I need this preached to me. And so I hope I listen while I preach. Uh, but we're going to start our reading this evening after prayer. We're going to start our reading in verse number 16 and read through the end of chapter number 4. And let's go again to the Lord in prayer. Oh, precious Lord, in the name of Jesus, we come into your presence again this evening to gather ourselves together around your word and to seek you, to hear from you. And we know that the only way that we can hear from you in a reliable way is through paying attention to your word. And I pray that you would use it to speak to us tonight. And may we, may we, Lord, be faithful to you and may we be faithful to hear and may we apply the truths that we read tonight and that we hear tonight. I pray that we would apply these truths in our lives that we might finish our course well. That we might bring a smile to your face. That you might receive glory from our lives. And we pray that you would, as the psalmist said, help us to number our days so that we can apply our hearts to wisdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to talk tonight uh, to you about finishing. The title of the message is Let's Finish Well. And let's read the scripture now from verse 16 of chapter 3 through the end of chapter 4. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. I'm trusting and hoping that that's exactly what you will receive tonight. Every one of these four aspects of the uh, prophet of God's word. That the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season 
and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Again, that's what I hope happens this evening in the message. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the house of and the household of Onesiphorus, Erastus remained at Corinth, and I have left Trophimus, who was ill at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sent, sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be unto you. Well, uh, to speak of finishing well and 
of, I think you would all agree with me that the majority of us are uh, probably in uh, the last chapters of our journey. We're in the last uh, few uh, steps of our uh, of finishing our course, and uh, we're going to finish. Everyone is going to finish in some way, and uh, uh, but the thing that uh, I'm concerned about for myself is I want to finish well. I want to cross the finish line going all out, don't you? Full speed ahead, not crawling, but going, uh, uh, finishing well. And uh, this is one of Paul's great guiding principles of his life. This is not the first time in uh, chapter, in verse 6, and seven, or verse seven, especially where he says, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race. This is not the first time that he's talked about the finish line the fin or finishing uh, his race. In Acts chapter 20, I don't know if you uh, remember this or not, but we read it quite often. Acts chapter 20, what Paul said uh, to the Ephesian elders. And he said, uh, in verse 22, he said, And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained <coughs> by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life of any value nor as precious to myself. Here's, what, here's what's important to me. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, Verse 24 and following. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control after, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So again, it seems that Paul's uh, guiding principle is to finish the course, to finish the fight, to finish the race, to finish it well. And, uh, and of course, when we talk about finishing, that presupposes something, does it not? It presupposes that, uh, that we have started well. 
that we've started right. You can't finish right if you haven't started right. And uh, of course, the hope of uh, finishing, the hope of crossing the finish line and falling into the arms of Jesus and going to heaven after this life is over, that is all uh, predicated on the fact that you have been born again. You must, we must be born again. That's that doctrine of regeneration that we talk about being born being born signifies the beginning of our earthly lives. And just as it uh, pictures the beginning of our earthly life, being born from above, being born again, uh, pictures the beginning of our spiritual life. And regeneration is when, like our uh, uh, question this morning about effectual calling, regeneration is when God works to transform us in such a way that he works repentance and faith in us and gives us a longing, a desire, a passion to know him. And we cry out for mercy. We cry out for salvation because he has granted to us repentance. Repentance is a serious, serious matter. It is an absolute necessity if we are to start on the race in the right way. I remember reading in Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 2, when Peter on the day of Pentecost uh, preached that wonderful message and, and the Bible said that they were cut to the heart when they heard these things. And they said, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent. When Jesus came, John the Baptist, his forerunner had come preaching the baptism of repentance and Jesus came preaching repent for the kingdom of God is at hand repentance is the brokenness that comes when one realizes what a sinner he actually is I know we are taught all over uh media and in our schools and in if you have a meeting in your business there's always this thing of uh, of trying to pump up the ego of of trying to uh, uh, convince us to remember that we're valuable we're good we're worth something you know uh, you, you you need to have self-esteem but I'm going to tell you that if you ever come in contact with the God of glory and his holiness, it'll break you. Brokenness is what he looks for. Isn't that right? Brokenness. He said, and I think Art was mentioning this yesterday in our study. He said, uh, he said, and he quotes uh, Isaiah as saying, uh, I am, uh, earth is 
uh, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool, but to this man will I look, mm -hmm. to him that is of a contrite spirit, a broken man. That's who God dwells with. Mm -hmm. And he said, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Are you getting it? And I don't mean to spend so much time on this, but here's how you know if you've ever truly repented. Because repentance is not a one-time thing. It's a lifestyle. Here's how you know if you've ever truly repented. Are you still repenting? <laughs> Do you still repent? Are you still aware that there is a constant battle going on in your heart, in your mind, in your thoughts, in your flesh? With pride and lust and sin and anger. Those things are always there. And they're always uh, the first things that come to mind when you try to come into the presence of the Lord and pray. Right? Oh, Lord. I'm not worthy to even come into your presence. Not worthy to even speak your name. That's, that brokenness is always there. So, it's life. Regeneration is life that comes from God. Repentance that is worked in us by God and faith. And suddenly, suddenly we get, we get it. We get it. We've heard the gospel and we've heard the truths of God's word. And, and it's, uh, it has, you know, yeah, I believe that. But then suddenly he died for me. It's for me. It's personal. He's calling me. Oh, isn't that a wonderful thing? And so to finish well, we must begin well. And finishing well should be, as with Paul, it should be a guiding principle, one of the guiding principles at least, in our lives. Uh, I hope you don't mind if I uh, read you the lyrics of a song that uh, Steve Green sung that has always been a, uh, just a convicting thing to me. And it's called, May All Who Come Behind Us Find Us Faithful. If I could sing, I would sing it. We are pilgrims on the journey of the narrow road. And those who've gone before us line the way. Cheering on the faithful, encouraging the weary, their lives a stirring testament to God's sustaining grace. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. May the fire of our devotion light their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe. And the lives we live inspire them to obey. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. The second stanza Surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, 
let us run the race, not only for the prize, but as those who've gone before us, let us leave to those behind us the heritage of faithfulness passed on through godly lives. After all our hopes and dreams have come and gone, and our children sift through all we've left behind, may the clues that they discover and the memories they uncover become the light that leads them to the road we each must find. And you get that image of your children going through your things after you've died and finding evidences of the faithfulness of your Christian life. I want to I want to finish well. Well, let me give you some things, some thoughts and I'll uh, try to be as brief with these as I can, but uh, uh, and and I just went through these verses and I just jotted down some thoughts and I've left them just as I wrote them down. So uh, so I didn't put any time into making the uh, thoughts that I've uh, put with these verses uh, any. Uh, more presentable. I, I just just wrote down what they were saying to me during that time. But uh, first of all, in chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, let's read that one more time. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. All Scripture is breathed out. The Word of God teaches us that the Word of God is God's breath. He has breathed it out in exactly the same way that we find in the book of Genesis in chapter number two, what is it, verse number seven, where it, uh, the picture there is so amazing that God just pulls together all this pile of dust and dirt and he, and he makes it and shapes it and, and gouges out the eyes and, and uh, opens up a mouth and makes some nostrils and gets down low and breathes into the nostrils the breath of life. And Adam becomes a living soul. The word of God is God's breath. I was uh, driving to work the other day and uh, I listened to the radio, uh, Christian radio and, and, uh, 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 Steve Lawson was preaching on the inspiration of Scripture. And here's what he said. He said, we talk about the Word of God being inspired, but he said, the Word of God, according to this, is expired. It's the expiration of God. And so here is 
the Bible, the Word of God. And what I jotted down was that in order to finish well, we must always have confidence in the power and the authority of God's Word. Confidence in its power and its authority. It says that it's breathed out by God. That means there's life in it. The word of God is alive and the word of God is parable or powerful. Uh, Hebrews chapter four and verse number 12. Let me, let me read that because I can't quote it in uh, ESV. So I'll read it. Chapter four and verse number 12. I got it, I got it. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Remember what we just said about uh, Acts chapter 2? They were cut to the heart. It was the word of God that did that. Here's people now from all over the Roman world. Most of them were Jews in Jerusalem for the feast days. And they were people who had no idea about Jesus, many of them. And yet, that word of God preached under the power, the, breath, the breath of God, so convicted them that they came to faith in Christ. That's the Bible. That's the Word of God. It is no different today than it was in their day. It's mighty. It's powerful. Do you believe it? Do we believe that the Word of God is alive? And that it is active? And that it can pierce? It can cut to the uh, dividing asunder piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Oh, listen, have you ever tried to sit down with someone and talk to them about sin in their lives and uh, maybe your children and talk to them and, and convince them that they shouldn't do this and shouldn't do that? But let me say that when you can't convince them, the Word of God can convince them. It's powerful. It can discern the intentions of their hearts. Oh, listen. Oh, that's why, that's why we encourage people to get their children in a place where they hear the word of God. And we should be always quick on the draw. The word of God it is alive and it gives life and it's truth. And it equips, Paul said, it makes those Bible workers, men of God, pastors, but not just pastors, everyone. If you will study it, if you will have confidence in it, it will equip you to live the Christian life. It's 
powerful according to Romans chapter 1 verse 16 Paul said the uh, the gospel is I'm not he said I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes even for uh, the Jew and the Greek and so uh, We've got, we've got that power. We've got the word of God. It is full of life and power and ability to teach and train and transform. And it's, uh, it's full of power to make us good workers, good gospel workers, gospel preachers. And all of us should be gospel preachers. And so one of the things that we all should uh, be concerned about. And one of those things that we'd like for uh, our those who come behind us to be able to say about us is that they had confidence, that we had confidence in the Word of God. We believe the Bible. And then uh, let's, uh, let's go on. Then... Paul says to Timothy, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Another way that you and I can, uh, for we can uh, finish well, is to pour our knowledge and our gifts and our passions into someone else. That's exactly what Paul is doing here, is it not? Isn't this what Paul has done with Timothy? He has been mentoring Timothy. Ever since he picked him up, where was it, at Lystra? He picked Timothy up, and uh, Timothy went with him, and he has, been, he has been mentoring Timothy all this time. He wrote him a letter uh, uh, previous to this that was helping him to be a faithful minister. And this letter also is to mentor him in gospel ministry. And so he's charging him to preach the word. And he's saying this is this powerful, mighty, life-giving Bible that you have, you ought to declare it. And the word preach here is a word that uh, it, it means like uh, to, uh, to declare or to proclaim or to herald like a town crier that would come out and proclaim the news. And this is what Paul is encouraging Timothy to do. He's charging Timothy to preach the word. In verses 11 and 12, we find that uh, uh, he says this about, he said, Luke alone is with me. He says, get Mark and bring him with you. I'm going to work on Mark a little bit. 
Bring him with you. He's very useful for me in the ministry. And Tychicus, I have sent to Ephesus. He is working with these young men. Chapter 2 and verse number 2. Here's what he says that Timothy should do. Let me start in verse 1. He said, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Timothy, I'm teaching you. I've taught you. You've been with me. You've seen my manner of life. You've seen my ministry. You've heard what I preached and I've taught you face to face. Now, he said, the things that you've learned from me, entrust them to someone else. This is uh, something that uh, I, I fail at uh, a great deal. I'm trying to mentor other people young men, but uh, it's something that we should be interested in, isn't it? We should be doing. In order to finish well, we should be pouring our knowledge into uh, others. And if there's more than one young man listening to me, <laughs> we, uh, uh, I would encourage young men to find someone to mentor you. Find someone from which you can learn, somebody that you have seen their lifestyle in their ministry and uh, learn from them. Then verses 3 through 5. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure sufferings, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Number three, in order to finish well, we should keep a sense of urgency about us. Knowing that not only is our time short, we have, uh, I mean, our time on earth is shorter than it's ever been, isn't it? And every one of us can say that no matter how old we are. Our time on earth is shorter right now than it's ever been because life is short. And not only is life short, but uh, one of these days, the day of the Lord's going to come, is it not? We have been told that repeatedly throughout the Old and the New Testaments. The days are coming when, uh, uh, the, or the day is coming when the Lord will Call a halt to all this. We'll end all this. And so our time is short. And we should be uh, encouraged to keep going, to keep preaching, to keep serving, and to keep loving folks because our time is short, our life is short. But not only that, people's willingness to hear is limited. There's coming a time when people will not hear what we've got to say. Maybe I should say 
as Jesus said on a couple of occasions, the time is coming and now is. The time is when people don't want to hear the truth. They will take a little bit of truth if you will give them a lot of entertainment. They will enjoy your preaching if you can pepper it with witty sayings and jokes. And if you'll make it a little bit entertaining. But if you are just going to give me the word of God, I got somewhere I got to be. Uh, we were, you know, for I don't know how long it was, probably two years, maybe more, that I was traveling into Mexico every Sunday and preaching in a church in a, a village that was a staging area for the uh, drug cartel. And it was dangerous. And it was scary. And I went in there every Sunday, and they begged me with tears in their eyes to come and preach to them because no one would come. They were scared. They were afraid because of the cartels and the danger. And so every Sunday, except for one, I went down there. One Sunday, the uh, cartels had all the roads blocked and the burning cars in the road and all that kind of thing. And I could not get through. And that was the only time that I turned around and went back. The rest of the time we went, times many times, we were surrounded by cartel uh, people with uh, uh, weapons and things and stopped by them on numerous occasions. And so we were going to teach, to preach every Sunday in this church. But they were kind of hoping when they wept and cried, I suppose, and asked us to come to preach to them, they were kind of hoping that we would bring some games and some food and some giveaways and things like that. And I didn't have anything but the Bible. And I preached it. And I preached it verse by verse. Every Sunday for two years. And eventually, you know, it's amazing, isn't it, that Nobody wants to go until you start going. And then suddenly, well, this group of people started coming in. And one and the pastor was a woman. She started coming in and they started bringing food and handing it out and everything. The, a couple of Sundays later, I arrived down there. And I've got a picture of the front door of the church. Had a padlock on it. Wouldn't let us in. The word of God is what we're, that's what we're after, right? That the word of God is what we're preaching and people will take it. They'll take it if you will flavor it with something. But if it's just the word of God, they have other places they want to be. But, uh, kind of the way things are. I said time's short, but uh, 
let me say this about that. Time's too short for us to get tripped up now. We've come too far to turn back, haven't we? It's too short. Time is too short for us to get tripped up. It's too short for us to hold on to our hurt feelings. Time is too short for us to fail to be witnesses for him. We ought to fill up our ministry. That's what Paul said for Timothy. He said, fulfill your ministry in verse number five. Fulfill your ministry it means to fill it up. Fill up your ministry with activity, with work, with battling. Well, verses 6 and 7. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Be ready at any moment to be offered up for your faith. And I'll add this, always be being offered up. Think about what I'm saying. If we're not willing to give up anything for Christ now, don't kid yourself and think that when they come and put a gun to your head that you'll give up your life for Christ. If we won't give up time, if we won't give up uh, relaxation time, if we won't give up vacation time, if we won't give up uh, our finances, if we won't give up time to serve, if we won't do that now, don't think that when they put a gun to your head and say renounce Christ, that you'll say, oh no, go ahead and kill me. Paul was about to be offered in. The language he used here, he, he says, I'm already being poured out. And he's referring to the drink offerings that were to be offered along with the sacrifices in the Old Testament. So if uh, you were to bring a, an animal for any kind of a sacrifice, you also had to bring some grain along with it. And offer that, and there had to be a portion of wine that was uh, uh, to be measured out and poured out. And so, when the wine's poured out, uh, you don't get to get it back; it's 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 gone. And that's what Paul's saying: I'm I am already being poured out. He's not talking about one day here soon when I lay my head on the chopping block that I'll be poured out. I'm already being poured out. And so that's kind of what we ought to be doing, right? He, didn't that, isn't that what he said in uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2? I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. We ought to be that kind of people. And John says, in 1 John, he said that uh, uh, if Jesus laid down his life for us, we ought to also lay our lives down for the brethren. And he's not just talking about uh, saying, no, 
don't kill them, kill me. He's not just saying lay down our lives for the brethren in that way, but laying down our lives for the brethren in, in sacrificing our time and, and energy to serve them. Well, I'll just have to read off the rest of them, but verse number eight, he says, Henceforth there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which is which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not to me only. Not only to me. I keep reading King James. Not to me not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Keep your eye on the prize. Not the crown. That's not the prize. The prize is the Savior. Keep your eye on the Christ. He is the one that Paul said in Philippians chapter number 3. He said, I counted everything but loss but I may win him I want to know him more I want him and him alone I want to know all of him I want to be in the fellowship of his sufferings to be made in the likeness of his resurrection and then verses 10 through 12 for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. And uh, Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. And uh, we, I want to uh, keep reading there, but he, uh, the point here is don't be sidetracked by the failure of others. If we're going to be able to finish well, they're not going to be able to uh, let the failure of other people throw us aside, cause us to stumble. Mm -hmm. Some of the closest people to me that I would never, never have believed would fall, have fallen. What do you do? I know what the first thing, the flesh or... I don't know if it's the devil or just my own flesh. I'm probably more wicked than the devil. And I, I mean, the first thought is, well, what's the point? What's the use? Don't let it. Don't let that. Don't entertain that thought for even a moment. Don't be sidetracked by the failure of others. People had done Paul wrong. They'd hurt him deeply, severely. But he says, I'm keeping on. They're going to cut my head off. These guys quit. But I'm not going to quit. Verse 13. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. Don't ever stop growing. You want to finish well, don't ever stop growing. I, I'm a little over, but I'm, I'm just going to read the rest of them quickly. 14 and 15. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. 
Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. Expect persecution. Expect enemies. They were promised to us. It's going to happen. But he says in verse number five that, uh, that Timothy should endure suffering. And in chapter two, verse three, he said that he should share in suffering. And so suffering is going to be a part of our ministry. Verse number 16. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. Be forgiving. Don't hold on to hurt feelings and anger. Verses 16 through 18. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me. All deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me, strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me. From every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Keep trusting in God's faithfulness. Because as long as you are serving him. As long as your ministry is still uncompleted. You are indestructible. He is going to take care of you until... Your work here is done, and let me ask you, what would you want to do? Why would you want to stay here after it's done? And then the last thing, verses 19 through 22. Greek Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus, Erastus remained at Corinth. I left Trophimus, who was ill at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you as do Pudens, Linus, and Claudia, and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Treasure your fellow laborers. That's, that's all I have. Father, help us, would you, to finish well. We ask it for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.